Welcome to As I Live and Grieve, a podcast that tells the truth about how hard this is. We're glad you joined us today. We know how hard it is to lose someone you love and how well-intentioned friends and family try so hard to comfort us. We created this podcast to provide you with comfort, knowledge, and support. We are grief advocates, not professionals, not licensed therapists. We are you. Today we are speaking with Melissa Pierce. Melissa was widowed overnight at the age of 44 when her husband Dave didn't wake up on a cold Saturday morning in 2011. As a solo parent to their two sons, Melissa knew she had to take care of herself first so she could care for her kids. They needed her support more than ever, so she began the work of processing her deep grief and practicing radical self-care to move forward. Melissa has rebuilt her life and established, for the very first time, a deeper knowledge of herself. She is a testament to trusting her gut and standing behind her choices. She is happily remarried to her Chapter 2, Sean, and they now call the Oregon Coast home. Melissa's purpose is living a joyful life and inspiring others. Hi, Melissa. And thank you for joining us today. Melissa is the author of Filled with Gold, A Widow's Story, and she has graciously agreed to chat with us today about her journey to this point with her grief after the sudden and unexpected death of her husband. Melissa, when I asked the significance of your title, Filled with Gold, I admit it was so refreshing to hear you mention the Japanese process of kintsugi where a broken item is repaired with a golden adhesive, and then it's regarded as an item with more beauty for having been broken but repaired. I think this is an incredible concept, and I admit I had seen pictures of some pottery and vases and everything, but I didn't really understand what the whole purpose and principle was. So can you help our listeners connect your story to this process. Yes. Um, I know I had seen the, the pottery before too, prior to Dave's death. And I thought, oh, this is interesting, but I never really gave it a thought. Um, so when um, Dave died in 2011, my heart was broken. Like literally I, they had to put me on an EKG and like it, his death was so sudden and traumatic that my heart was doing flip-flops and I was worried mm-hmm. about my heart. And just the trauma of losing him so suddenly. And it just, I just felt like my heart was broken. My heart was different. And so when I saw the pottery, I was, I, it just really resonated with me. And I dug into it a little bit more and I've, I've seen this really cool quote. It's called the art of precious scars. So because the pottery was broken and the artisans, the Japanese artisans put it together with the gold lacquer it became a, a more beautiful piece because it was, was put back together. It was broken and put back together. And that just really resonated with me. Yeah. I just, you know, I'm, my heart's different and, and I'm actually different. So I'm, I think I'm, you know, maybe more beautiful than I was before or my heart is. You're mended with gold. Yes. Yeah. So it's filled with gold. I just love that imagery. I it really means too. a lot to me. I think going through something, it's it's harder to understand when you haven't been through something, mm-hmm. you know, and when then once you go through it, you're going through it and you're healing and everything. It just makes you a better person and you're more understanding to other things. 
I think. So oh, yeah, so much more empathetic. I am yeah. so much I am more compassionate, more empathetic, more joyful because I know that, you know, it can all just be gone in a, in a second. So I right. really do appreciate what life has to offer here. I wasn't right. always like that, but right. You know, and you know, moving through the, you know, and actively grieving, that was mm-hmm. really just soul sucking. I mean, it was, yeah. it brought me to my knees. Well, and yeah. it's horrible that you have to go through something so horrible before mm-hmm. you can come empathetic to, to things mm-hmm. like that. But, you know, unfortunately it's, you know, but at least you, you realize after the outcome. So yeah. regarding your grief journey, do you feel that your journey's over? Are you done grieving? No, <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of use the term active grieving because I was really in it. Those first probably, you know, year and a half, those first six months were really rough, but I think I was very much in shock. So I was kind of, I felt like a zombie because Dave, there was no warning when he, when he died, he just wasn't feeling real well on a Friday night and just thought he was coming down with a cold and like his chest was tight. And then I found him in our bed the next morning he was he was dead and and we have two children and two children that we adopted through the foster care system so it was just so unbelievable because first of all i thought well my kids get a pass because they've already been through a ton of trauma being in the foster care system so their life should be pretty perfect from now on you know they they've done it they've gone through it so i just kind of dave and i were both going through going moving through our life thinking like these these kids are golden now we've we've got them we're going to give them a good life and and everything's rosy and so when he didn't wake up when he died that morning it just i couldn't believe it like i i didn't believe it for 6 months actually i really did not believe even though i performed cpr on his body and i and i saw him at the funeral home i just it just didn't click mm-hmm. with me that this actually happened so i think that was I was in shock for probably six months. And then the grief started, you know, showing up and and kind of seeping in. I think think my body and my brain was just kind of protecting myself because it just kind of creeped in through little cracks, you know, like cracks of my broken heart. It's like numbness. You're numb. And then finally the numbness started to wear off and it Mm -hmm. hit you. Yeah. And then I felt like just an open wound. I felt so raw and vulnerable and just like afraid of the world almost, but I I had to work, so I was working full time. I the kids had to go to school. They had to be fed. I had to try and feed myself, which I was not doing a very good job of. And um so the things had to get done because I was not going to let these kids like go down the tubes. Like so I knew I was just kind of on I don't know, just zombie mode. <laughs> I was just right. trying to keep all the plates spinning. And then then I really wasn't because I was not dealing with really what had happened. And I was not dealing with my grief in a healthy way. How old were the kids at the time? They were uh, 10 and 13. So my youngest was, we had a birthday party for him 10 days after Dave died. So oh. he turned 11 about 10 days after he died. Yeah, so I had a birthday party. <laughs> Like two weeks at a pizza place. So yeah, I was like just doing the things, just trying to go about, you know, doing the normal things. 
Right. But really not feeling normal at all. Just like, yeah. What were your days like, your routine days? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you were on kind of like autopilot, mm-hmm. but, you know, what, what were you doing for you? Uh, not much. <laughs> I mean, I was really, I would, uh, I was sleeping okay because uh, my doctor had prescribed a sleeping pill, but I didn't like that. I wanted to, I didn't want to feel like I felt numb already. I didn't want to feel number. So I stopped taking that and I was able to to get some sleep, but I would just, you know, wake up, get the kids some breakfast, get them off to school. And then I would log in for work. I was working remote full time. So I was actually able to work from home, which was really nice. But I would do my job and then go pick them up or go to their basketball games or their baseball games. And I was, I just felt like I was not even part of this world. But something in me knew that I had to keep my kids alive. You know, I had to keep them well and I had to show them that I'm not going to fall apart because their birth family kind of fell, fell apart. And that's why they were in the foster care system. So I just, it was just so imperative to me to show them that I'm, I'm okay. I've got this. You guys be kids. I can handle this. But I was not, I wasn't eating. I wasn't really able to, like food didn't taste good. I wasn't even producing saliva almost like anything in my mouth, like that wasn't wet would just crumble. So I just ate a lot of soup. My mom stayed with us for uh, a month. And so she made just pots of rice. That's all I could eat was like buttered rice. Um, so she, she did take care of me, um, that way, but she had to go back home and I had to go back to work. And so, yeah, I was just zombie mode for a while. So, and I think just because as a mom, and then I try to put my, myself in your place, if, and I know I have my rough days too. And I think that if it weren't for my kids, I probably wouldn't get up and do the things that I needed to do. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) So yeah. in a way, you're, you feel like your kids kind of helped you get up and out of bed, maybe at least? Oh, they were the only reason. Yeah. They were the yeah. only reason. Like, there were, like, I wanted to, you know, just pull the covers up over my head and shut the curtains. But uh, we had worked so hard, Dave and I, to to create this family. Right. You know, to, to adopt our kids. And, and, you know, we love these kids. And we wanted to, you know we were a family together. We were just the four of us, this tight little family. And I just didn't want that, you know, I didn't want that to go down the tubes. I wanted to make sure that my kids were going to be okay. So yeah, that was the only reason that I pretty much got out of bed. Now I know that you, everybody that we've talked to, they all have talked about how they have to hit rock bottom and they Mm -hmm. hit their rock bottom and you hit yours and realized that you needed to make a change. Yes. Yes. And how was that going through that? Well, uh, I always have the imagery of the guy on the stage spinning all the plates on the sticks, you know, just running from one plate to the next and making sure they don't topple. And that's how I felt, you know, working full time, parenting, solo parenting. And, you know, I kind of reached out for alcohol and, and pot and just something for me to go to sleep at night or just to numb out or even sometimes to feel to feel the feelings because I was not really feeling those. And so sometimes I would, 
you know, drink and listen to music. And then that would, I would be able to like cry. I would like make myself cry. But I was doing that way too much. And I knew it was a problem because I was, I felt like I was having a nervous breakdown. I didn't officially have one, but I knew I was really suffering and uh, it came to a point where I was really hung over and I went to work. I was moved back to Portland at this point. So I had to go into an office, a physical office. So, and I was late because I was hung over and the manager was, my manager was saying, you know, having a team meeting that I was late to. So all eyes are on me just saying that, Hey, you know, good job team. We're going to get a great year. And like next year, we're going to have to work even harder. And I'm just, everything just kind of zoned out that point. And I just thought I can barely keep up. Like the fact that like, if I have to work harder, I'm, I think I'll die. I mean, I just, I don't, I cannot do this. And so I just went back to my cubicle and just laid my head down and I just started crying. And that's not something that I did. I always like to show the world that hey, I got this. I'm strong. I've, you know, I've got all this and I, I don't got this. <laughs> so <laughs> one of my really good friends in human resources, she pulled me into her office and she's like, what's, what's going on? And I told her, she's like, just go home and we'll, we'll figure this out. And I just, I made the decision right then and there that I'm quitting my job. <clears throat> and I went and talked to my brother who was in recovery. And I told him, like, I reached out to him. It's like, Hey, I'm, I'm over drinking. I am really not dealing with this very well. And so he was a really great support for me. But just the fact that I was just acknowledging, like, I, I don't have this, I need help. I am suffering here. And so that was my low point. Because if, if I go down, the ship goes down and my kids go down with it. And I was just not going to let that happen. So reaching out for help was a big deal for me. And then what did you do from that point? Once you realized you needed to, well, I guess you needed to take care of yourself. <laughs> um, what did you do? What did you start doing once yeah. you knew you had to turn things around? I think the fact that that was a huge part of it was like acknowledging that I needed help. And so I just thought out, I just decided, and I don't even know, like, I don't know if I read it somewhere or in the in the books that I was reading about grief and widowhood, but I just gave myself permission to do anything that made me feel better or feel good or resonated with me that I, that I might feel good if I did, did this. So I did that. I mean, it was like self-care, you know, 101, which is not something that I, I, I did prior to that it was always like give to others give to others and at mm -hmm. this point it was like i need to fortify myself and so that i can fill my bucket so i can give to, give back to my kids you know so i wanted everybody to be healthy and we needed to move through move through this so and what kind of things did you do for yourself what kind of things made you feel a little bit better at first it was you know, my body, it felt like the trauma and the grief, it was just like, like stuck in my body. Yeah. So I did a lot of pedicures and body work mm -hmm. and massage. I walked a ton. I just started like just walking and listening to music, Pilates, yoga, just anything to where I could move my body. And 
and kind of worked the grief out of my body so that it could, so my mind can kind of process and get some clarity about, you know, what, what had transpired Dave's death, you know, how lonely I was, how sad I was, how, you know, hopeless I felt. And then, you know, that hopelessness kind of started turning into like little glimmers of hope. Just like I could see like, oh, I might experience joy <laughs> at some point. You know, I'm not feeling it now, but there's a potential for that. And so I just kept doing things that made me physically feel good. Yes, And I also, you know, it does, you know, when I think about it, because I wrote about it in my book, like, yeah, I got pedicures and I got, you know, massage and all that. It's like, took baths. I took a ton of baths. And I can see where that might be considered like, self-indulgent or like, mm-hmm. oh, you took a, ba- a bubble bath to, you know, resolve your grief. It's like, no, it's not. I mean, I, you know, if I don't care for me, how do I take care of my kids? And that was my turning point there because my self-care was just out the window. And I think it's the same for like, if you ask any widow, and I have a lot of widow friends, that is the first thing to go. You know, nobody, it's like a afterthought. It's like, oh, maybe I'll do something nice for myself. But you know, I, that was a turning point for me. It was it's hard really, to, mm-hmm. it, it's hard to pick yourself up, get dressed, leave the house mm-hmm. and go do something like that. Mm-hmm. That's a monumental task when mm-hmm. you're grieving. Mm-hmm. It truly really yeah. is. Yeah. Another part of the self-care that was not like the physical was I was really noticing like how I talk to myself, like the words I said to myself, sometimes they weren't the kindest words. And mm-hmm. I think like that was kind of how I operated my my life up to that point. And so I really had to notice, like, how was I talking to myself? Could I use some different, kinder, nicer, more compassionate words? Could I affirm what I was doing? Like, hey, Melissa, I know this was kind of crunchy and ugly the way you parented your kids <laughs> today, but, you know, you're just doing the best you can. So I kind of be- became my own best friend. I know that's kind of like no, a I like that. Quote, but I- I really I had to, like, Dave wasn't there anymore to tell me that. You know, he wasn't there to, to have my back. So I had to have my own back and really just notice and just talk to myself in a much, much more kinder and more compassionate way. So, yeah, the self-care thing. And even just as a mom, that is something that I think I've had to learn that if I don't take care of myself, I don't want to take care of anybody else. <laughs> And for anybody to say that something that someone else has done that would be extravagant or they think that that's strange, like, oh, her husband passed and she's out getting her nails done. Please don't think that way. (laughs) Can you change your mindset, please? Because that 30 minutes to an hour of someone taking care of your nails means Mm -hmm. the world. I go every two weeks and she's like my therapist or we chat or she just makes my nails pretty. And I used to be a nail tech. I could do my own nails, but who wants to do that? (laughs) I want someone else to do it for me. So just anybody that does self-care, please change your mindset and don't make anybody feel bad about that. Um. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's that's so, yeah. What a great point, Stephanie. And I think just as women, you don't have to be a widow or anything. That's just, we're always like the last, the afterthought. Yeah. And then feeling guilty about, oh, I, I want to get a pedicure. I want my toes to look nice. I want to look down and like, oh, those are right. Those are really nice. And just having yeah. somebody touch me because nobody had touched me. Right. 
just somebody physically just touching and and massaging my little toes it felt so good you know yeah there's something about a pedicure i know i always feel like in fact i always say at the end of a pedicure i look at my toes and i think oh my toes are happy now yeah (laughs) and it just i don't know it just makes me feel good and i think i was probably well in my 50s before i had my first pedicure ever Mm -hmm. ever so so important. Yeah. I hope our listeners understand and agree. Melissa, I would like to pose a what if question. You mentioned sort of hitting a bottom and knowing you had to turn things around and that you were the only one to do it. Have you ever considered what might have been the rest of your story had you not come to that realization? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I don't know if I would be here or I don't know. I know my kids would have really suffered more than they than they had and yeah i mean i'm I've, i'm doing really well i mean i really like where i am right now good i like where i am in my life i if i didn't treat myself with you know so much compassion and kindness and self-care i wouldn't be living this life that i love i love this life you know i i love my life now i'm i'm remarried i i found you know love and partnership again and uh, my kids are doing well. You know, they, my oldest isn't graduating from college. My youngest is, you know, he's working full time and they're living their lives and they're able to support themselves. And that's, you know, I just, yeah, I, I don't like to go think about like, oh, what if I didn't do that? But I know there would be a lot of suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Well done, mama. Well mm-hmm. done. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm just so glad that you not only knew what had to be done when you took time to think about it, but you also found the strength to make it happen because I know it's not easy. It takes immense strength, inner strength. Just from my personal experience, there were days I didn't want to get dressed. I didn't want to do anything except maybe sit up, drink some water, watch TV, and try not to think. Mm-hmm about what had happened or that I was alone. So kudos to you for realizing that you needed to do something and for doing it. Thank you. So, Do you have any thoughts, knowing how intense grief can be, what friends or family members might do or say to help convince someone who's grieving to get up, get dressed, and do something special for themselves? Yeah, that's, that's a tough one because even, you know, even experiencing, you know, the death of, of my husband, you would think that I would know the exact perfect thing to say. And I don't, (laughs) but, but, but I always come from a place of, you know, just like telling, you know, somebody like, I know you're hurting. I know you're devastated and, and I'm here and just being supportive and just being there. Like what comes to mind for me is I I have a girlfriend who basically called me every day and didn't want anything from me. Just like, hey, how was your day? What what, what went on today? Just knowing that I had supports and I my family supported me, and when I and just when I let them in, they could support me even more. But just. I don't know. I just, just supporting someone, just being there, not asking them to do anything or or tell you anything. Or a lot of times it's like, well, what can I do for you? It's like, I don't know. (laughs) I just, I just need 
to know that you're there, you know? So yeah, I, I had really incredible support, which was the game changer That's as great. well. Yeah. Melissa, let's turn to your book and your business. Your website is filledwithgold.com. And I recall you saying it was undergoing some revision right now. Tell us what we might find if we visited your website. Well, it's um, actually filledwithgold.org. Because somebody has the oh. .com. <laughs> so, oh. like, I don't know who, but they, they have it. So it's filledwithgold.org. So yeah, I wrote the I wrote the book a couple years ago because I I would tell my story just to people and they'd be like, "Oh my god, you should write a book." And it starts from the the moment we first met our kids because they were 5 and 7 when they came into our lives up to 2017 to me, you know, meeting my my husband in this life, Sean, and you know, moving forward through um through the grief but um, it was a book that I, I wrote it because it's a book that I wanted to read. Because there's, back in 2011, you know, there was just not a ton of resources. At least mm-hmm. I couldn't find them. Podcasts were not a huge thing. And I was just like searching for books when I could read books, because sometimes I couldn't read very well <laughs> with the widow fog. But uh, yeah, it was just the, the book that I wrote that I wanted to read. And so I wanted to share my experience because I felt really alone because I couldn't find resources. So I thought like, I'm the only one out here that's experiencing this. And, uh, and I know that's not true. So there's, there's so many awesome books now and, and awesome podcasts, like what you guys are doing. And yeah, that's why I wrote, I wrote the book. But right now I, I just feel like I've gone through this unique experience and I wanted to support other widows and have them, you know, hopefully move through this experience with a little more grace and ease than I did. I kind of white knuckled my way through, through this, this experience. And so I am creating and launching a subscription, a monthly subscription box to help support widows in their self care. Because I think once you start taking care of yourself and know that you need to do that, you can move to a place where, you know, you're living a, a life that you, you deserve to, to have. I mean, it's everybody's birthright to, you know, feel some joy and, and, and live a life that they want to live, regardless of what has transpired, what, what experiences, traumatic experience of, experiences have happened. So just, uh, it's, a, it's a box that will be filled with books or sometimes not a book because the reading is hard, like I said, but uh, it's just self-care items, activities, just getting a box every month um, on your doorstep. It's happy mail. First of all, it's not a bill. Right. <laughs> and, you know, it just, you give yourself permission to open the box and look at the items and figure out like, yes, I can take some time out for myself. I can treat myself with some kindness and compassion. And there's other, there's support there. There's other women out there who know what I'm going through. So it's, um, again, I'll be launching that the first part of 2021. And I'm really, really excited about that. Yeah, I I just, I know what it feels like to lose most important person in your life. 
So I want to just give from that place and just serve um, this widow community based on, you know, what I've experienced and what, what's helped me. Right. I love that it's a monthly box because I think mm-hmm. I've received other monthly subscription things. And I think looking forward to it, you know, it's coming. But even if you, we always, especially with holidays, we get so busy and you kind of put your self-care to the side because you're taking mm-hmm. care of decorating and buying presents for everyone for the holidays and baking cookies and all that. And you get so busy and then all of a sudden you're like, whew. But I think with that that box coming, you look forward to it and it's like, oh yeah, I need to, hey, I just got my box. It's time for me to take care of myself. <laughs> right. so I like that it's, yeah. it's going to come to everybody's doorstep every month. Make, make right. you take yeah. care of yourself. Yes, for sure. For sure. I, yes. Just fortifying yourself with the self-care and like having some time to just go take a bath if you want to take a bath because there's this bath product that you can go use and just pamper yourself. Right. Yeah. It's a great idea. Mm-hmm. So your revisions to your website are not yet complete. Is that correct? Correct. Or is your website available now? It's available now. Okay. Um, yes, it's it's available now at uh, www.filledwithgold.org. Org. Okay. Yeah. And we will have uh, that information in the episode notes as well as on our website. Now, I went to your website. And I downloaded a resource sheet. Mm-hmm. So I hope that's still an offering. Yes. But I found that very interesting. And I honestly thought that that's a nice thing for those friends or family members who care to just print off and tuck in a card and send to someone who's grieving. There were some affirmations in there. There were some suggested some suggested music, some suggested books, just and even some organizations that would have resources to help. And I thought it was a wonderful idea, packed with resources. I wish I had had one handed to me when I needed it. So I recommend that anyone, especially widows, and I know you have a very particular place in your heart, for widows that have to solo parent yes. from that point on. So that's that your resource sheet and everything on your website will be geared toward that, but there's still so much that's applicable to everyone. So I guess, is there anything else you want our readers to know? Any special thing that you offer or any special tip or advice you want them to hear before we wrap up for the day? I would just encourage any widows out there, particularly the the ones who are solo parenting first, like you, I have, my heart is with you and I really want to support you. Go out to my website. The first thing you'll see is a place to download the, my widow self-care support guide. And again, it has music suggestions it has all the um, like the resources, the websites, the organizations that I tapped into, um, and it's all it's a two page guide. It's got books, book suggestions, affirmations. So helpful! It's it changed my life. All everything that I put on here. This is my life. This is my guide. <laughs> <laughs> this is what really turned things around for me. So I just encourage any any anybody any. Um, widow out there to just go to my website, check it out, and hopefully something will resonate with you. 
Great idea. Great idea. Before we wrap up today, I want to thank you again for being here. I want to remind our readers or our listeners, uh, gee, maybe someday we'll have a book. But for now, I remind our listeners of a couple things you said. One that I really, really love is be your own best friend. Don't necessarily wait for someone else to come knock on your door and say, this is what we're going to do, because that may or may not happen. And even if someone did come to your door and knock on your door, chances are you would say, I'm just fine and do everything in your power to get them to leave you alone because you don't really want them to know what's going on in your mind or in your life at the moment. So be your own best friend. And the other was consider, if you will, that Japanese art of Kintsugi and think and learn to respect that things that are damaged, scarred, vulnerable, and imperfect need to be respected and admired. They have come through a horrible time of being broken, yet they've been repaired, mended, and are filled with gold. Thanks for listening. Hopefully we'll hear from you next week. Thank you, Melissa. Thanks, Melissa. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening with us today. We hope you will find a moment to leave a review, send an email, and share with others. Join us next time as we continue to live and grieve together.